Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Okay, ready? What you know, and it's about a time when you get yourself in a wheel. I want to know something she's done. I think about everyone you need. I hold in it, things are moving real now. I have seen you wanting you. Hey, it's a ratio. Okay, though. It's a ratio. Okay, though. That might be the best question I've ever been asked. You're a phenomenal person. I mean, you legendary. I am a fan of you, my brother. A lot of people start around the country started to know who you are when you did an ad with a noose around your neck, right? Talking about lynching and racial justice, those are the... Talk to me about the conception of the ad. Did anything yeah. in you say, wait a minute, what? I want to put a noose around my neck? Like, like, did anything you go, are you sure? Absolutely. And um, I will say as someone who understands the power of storytelling, I come from a long line of ministers. Both my parents are ministers. Uh, but just understanding creativity, um, this was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, without question. And um, it was all my idea. And when it, it was fell on my idea. spirit, it, yeah, so I, I had to convince my team to allow me to do this. Um, and, it, and it took some time because the idea is painful. And as I said, even in the, the video, um, this is something that was used to kill my ancestors. I, I learned that I had great, great uncles who were lynched uh, in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. And it's not something that... Um, I ever envisioned that I would be connected to, but I saw the responsibility and and the historic moment that we're in. What made you think of it in the first place? Well, what fell on my spirit, first of all, is the fact that hate and division are often used to hold us back. And Rand Paul is at the center of it all. And when he blocked that Emmett Till anti-lynching act a couple years ago, he was essentially doing what he always does, um, ignoring our pain saying that our issues aren't important, finding obscure reasons to block progress. And ultimately, that is a remnant of structural racism. Now, even though he didn't light a match to the current legislation that just passed, just a little over a week ago, he stood on the floor of the Senate and opposed domestic terrorism legislation for the same logic that he always uses to block progress. He he said, well, since the 60s, uh, there's been progress and there's interracial marriage and Churches are integrated, so we don't have anything to worry about. The fact of the matter is, we can't fix what we don't face. And using my own story and using the powerful symbolism of the pain that we've seen in our country to highlight the bigger work that we have to do for healing and freedom um, was my way of saying this race will be different. We're not going to run away from structural racism. We will not let Rand Paul hide. And we will choose healing together. Charles Booker is the Democratic nominee for the Senate from the state of Kentucky. And if you hate Rand Paul, then you want Charles Booker to win because he is running against Rand Paul right now. And his life story is amazing. The man grew up poor in Louisville. He was homeless for a time, he and his mom. And yet somehow he made it to law school and into politics. And now he's just a few thousand votes away from the most exclusive and important club in America. Let's check out Charles Booker on Torre Show. 
what was the argument with the team when you're saying, here's why we should do this? And the leaders of your campaign are saying, I don't know about that. And how did you push that argument past? You know, their response was a very human response. And um, it was one of care for me and my humanity, my own personal pain and being vulnerable in that way. Um, But it was also just our collective trauma um, from a history that we don't really grapple with. And the idea of a rope hanging uh, from a tree is just painful in and of itself. And I knew that this would disturb and make people uncomfortable. But my hope was that, one, you would see my love and sincerity in, in the message that I'm lifting up. But two, that the discomfort would encourage us to act. Because we're seeing mass shooting after mass shooting. We're seeing so much pain in our communities. And we wish we could just look the other direction, that these things wouldn't exist. But that's not the case. And so um, it took me some time really to to find it in myself to say, okay, I actually need to tell the story this way. Um, And when I did, and I prayed about it, I told my team, and they were like, we're with you, Charles. And and I'm grateful for the support uh, because we're breaking a lot of barriers. And and that video is an example of it. This To be in this position in your life where you are the Democratic nominee for the Senate, and if you can just get enough people to go with you, you'll be in one of the most exclusive clubs in America. I mean, that's amazing thinking about where you've come from, right? And I want you to talk a little bit about your life journey because you you grew up with nothing. You were homeless for a period of time. And yet somehow you get to law school and you start to turn your life around. So tell us a little bit of your journey. Absolutely. So I'll start by saying, I stumbled into politics. You know, I believe there are no mistakes. I believe we all have a purpose, but I never thought mine included doing things like this. Uh, I come from the hood, 35th and Market to be exact. And um, I would never have admitted this when I was younger because I didn't realize it. Yes, sir. In Louisville, in Louisville. Uh, Growing up, I wouldn't have admitted this because I didn't realize it, but we were poor. You know, I, I grew up on faith and family, hard work, but we didn't have any money. And Seeing my mom go without eating to feed me, um, the times we did lose our home, we lost our car, we have our lights cut off, water be cut off. And I'm a type 1 diabetic. And growing up, that was one of the most expensive bills that we had in our house. And there were times we couldn't afford it. We didn't have family that could help us get it. And and I would stretch it out, try to ration it. And I nearly died twice from that. And mm. a lot of the trauma that I, I lift up in my campaign is really just the things I've lived through. Um, since 2016, I've had a younger cousin murdered every year, um, mm. seven actually. And in the, the drug game or police brutality, what it was? I mean, I, it was a little bit of everything. Um, I had a cousin that was uh, uh, getting robbed and was killed. Um, there was a domestic dispute; he was shot. Um, mm. One was at the wrong place, wrong time. Got caught in the crossfire. Um, I, I've I've had a couple that have. Um, turn the firearm on themselves too. Mm. And, you know, that, that pain is something that really cuts across partisan divides. And so I'm speaking these types of truths and I'm being vulnerable in this way because I know things can change and we need people that won't BS us and, and, and lift up a message and vision for our future. And you were homeless for a period of time. Yeah. How yeah, long? I was my mom and I, um, there was, this was actually around Christmas. I was about eight years old. Um, our house caught fire and uh, we lost all of our things. I lost all of my clothes. And for the rest of the school year, um, we were bouncing around. I, my grandma's house was like the community center. So I'm one of over 70 grandkids. So whenever there was space, that's where I would stay. And if I had to sleep on the floor, uh, my mom would be sleeping on the floor. That's what we would do. Uh, but church members helped us out. Um, it was a tough time. And I appreciate my mom's strength and her courage and her faith and that she instilled that in me. And it's really important for me now because homelessness is a big issue here in Kentucky with a lot of youth that are facing the same things that I did. Veterans as well. A lot of families that are struggling. Kentucky's one of the poorest states in the country. And so this really is personal for me. And beating Rand Paul is honestly just a byproduct of the bigger work we got to do to end generational poverty 
And we're building the coalition to do it. And I'm excited to tell that story. Rand Paul is horrible. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> yes, I he mean, is. he's just been one of the worst senators that in the entire Senate. And he, and he will constantly jump out the window to say something crazy that we're like, are you, you know, I, I even during COVID, it was like, aren't you a doctor? And you're still saying these lies about COVID? Like, you could have just said nothing. Um, right. what, what, what is wrong with this man? You know, Rand Paul strikes me as someone who never had to be responsible for his actions. Um, mm. Hasn't really seen hard times, or if he has, he's forgotten. And quite honestly, he does not represent Kentucky. I mean, there is nothing about Rand Paul that says Kentucky. And, and if you come to Kentucky, which I look forward to inviting you down, brother, most people will tell you he's a clown. He's a joke. People that wanted to support him because he ran as someone that would disrupt the status quo, that would fight back. And that really is a through line in Kentucky. Um, it isn't a partisan divide as much as it is who's going to fight the establishment because we feel so screwed in, in, in a lot of ways we are. Um, but the man is is a joke and he's dangerous. And he's the worst yeah. type of politician because he purports himself to believe what he thinks. And every way he shows up is about division. It's about mocking our lives, exploiting our pain. Uh, he makes an ass of himself just to get on TV. He's a national yeah. figurehead, but he really does not speak to Kentucky. And that's why people all over the political spectrum, people that voted for Trump, voted for Bernie Sanders, people that never voted are actually organizing with me to get him out of office. One of the one of the things, if someone like you were to become senator, that we would be hoping that you do something about our our mass shooting epidemic that we're yeah. what sort of legislation would you like to see? Would you like to propose that might combat some of the mass shootings that we've seen? Well, just in sharing my own personal experience and the work that I've done at the local, state, and federal level, we have to see this as a public health crisis. We have to see it holistically. Um, when a trigger is pulled, I've said this, actually, there's a documentary um, about me called From the Hood to the Holler. Um, and I shared in that, that when a trigger is pulled, it's an explosion of all the things we don't deal with. And there's legislation right now that's moving, uh, just moved through the House, that's going before the Senate, that will substantially help. But we got to look at this twofold. How do we address uh, access to firearms? How do we make sure that uh, people who are in a position to uh, cause harm to themselves, harm to others, are not getting these types of high capacity firearms so easily? But then we also have to look at the broader uh, issues around why violence is present. Um, why mass shootings happen? Um, how do we deal with poverty and the structural inequity? So I would be looking to have a multi-pronged approach to that. And I'll tell you this, too. In Kentucky, there is broad bipartisan support for background checks, violent history checks. Um, I actually filed a red flag legislation with a bipartisan coalition when I was in the state legislature. Um, weapons of war do not belong in, a, in our streets. That's not a radical thing to say. Uh, we no. want to keep our children safe. And the thing that I've noted, man, because whenever these shootings happen, uh, you'll hear a Rand Paul say thoughts and prayers. And mm -hmm. I'm a person of faith. I know the power of prayer. I also understand when you're exploiting faith. And I, I realized that Wade's praying to the NRA. So he's actually getting what he's asking for. And mm -hmm. if we're trying to save our families, we got to get people like that out of office. Man. I mean, can, is it possible to have a ban on this level of weaponry, as you just alluded, there's no reason why the average citizen who is not in law enforcement, not in the military, needs to have access to a gun that can fire large, 60 large bullets in a minute, right? Whatever protection you need, you can get from a handgun. You do not need, right. we can't be, we as citizens can't buy tanks. We can't buy, you know, rocket launchers, why should we be able to buy these weapons of war? That, that's so true. And, and it's not really a controversial statement when you listen to regular people. Um, we know big money has shaped this narrative to make it seem as if we're divided, but we really aren't. I was a director at the Department of Fish and Wildlife. This is an agency where everybody has a firearm. And this is a conversation we would regularly have about how people are abusing um, 
these rights, uh, constitutional protections are in place. The intent is to protect us, not to be abused to kill us. Um, people who hunt do not use high capacity weapons. Um, you would destroy anything that you were looking to hunt. Um, mm-hmm. This really is a matter of saying who gets to make decisions over our lives, the NRA or our families, parents or politicians. And I have three girls, my three bosses, man, a 14 year old, six year old and a 10 month old. Um, <laughs> I want them to pursue their dreams. And when they go in the classroom, I don't want them to have to worry about ducking under a desk. I want them to learn. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. You are pro-choice in a state where a lot of people are pro-life. I think more than 50% of Kentuckians are pro-life. And I know for a lot of people, that is a central issue that they won't cross, uh, vote for a candidate who does not align with them on that issue. So, I mean, we know this discussion. Obviously, it's it's changing because of what's going on with the Supreme Court, but we know this issue. How do you, as a campaigner, get folks who are pro-life in a state that's very red to say, you know, yes, I'm progressive. Yes, I like Bernie Sanders and Bernie Sanders likes me and I'm pro-choice, but vote for me. Yeah. Well, first of all, it's showing the courage to push back on the narrative because Yes, the framing is around being pro-life, but what does that actually mean? What are we actually talking about? And when you get past the the national buzzwords and actually listen to people in Republican areas, Democratic areas alike, and hear their stories about what it meant to go through uh, a pregnancy and not have quality health care, dealing with the miscarriage, knowing that uh, if you have a pregnancy, it's going to kill you. When we get beyond the talking points, we find a lot of commonality. And so 
what I'm doing in my campaign, one, is lifting up their voices. So it's not just me saying that protecting the agency and humanity of women is not only the right thing to do, but something the people of Kentucky support. I'm letting Kentuckians say that for themselves and supporting them in it. But also, this is a matter of how do you meet people where they are? How do you build coalitions with um, with folks when division is just so paramount? I passed legislation in the state house with people who supported Trump, who were strong uh, supporters of uh, government mandated pregnancy, which is really what we're talking about. I still pass legislation with them because I found common bonds. And what we need in our politics nowadays is the understanding that we can't seek to enter into engagements expecting to agree on everything. That is not realistic. We stand on our principles, but we find our common bonds. And the reason that I believe this is even still possible is I see it every day. You know, the, the issues that we're dealing with in Kentucky, they're not really partisan. Um, the struggles, people losing their jobs, their livelihoods, water being brown, Internet being crap, uh, not being able to afford your medication. All of these things are really crushing us. And so they're seeing me tell my story. I'm lifting up their story. And if we don't agree on every issue, that's okay. But I'm going to tell you where I stand. But the truth of the matter is a lot of Kentuckians, a strong percentage of Kentuckians, understand the agency of women and why health care is important. And uh, we're going to we're going to take that fight on in this election for sure. A lot. It's been very hard in this country for black people to win statewide elections. Right, been very few senators, very, very few governors. And you're in a southern state, a red state that went for Trump twice, went against Obama twice. How do you get white folks? Because you can't win with just black folks. So how do you get white folks to come out and support you, right? And especially, I think your your Dems will be with you, but obviously you're going to have to siphon off some Republicans and get your whatever moderates there are with you. How do you how do you do that? Because I think sometimes yeah. white voters don't even trust black candidates to deliver for them. Right. First of all, we got to acknowledge that that's true. We have to acknowledge structural racism. We have to acknowledge these divisions. And, you know, another um, stat to add to uh, the list that you uh, were reading out is Kentucky's nearly 90 percent white. So mm. this is obviously a case where me just being a black candidate in and of itself is not a path to victory. But I've never set out for that to be my path anyway, because I understand that our common bonds really are powerful. We have much more in common than we do otherwise. But it's going to require the hard work. It's going to require building community, investing in the type of infrastructure that turns out people in Democratic strongholds that have been ignored, like in my hood. We vote Democrat when we vote, but a lot of people don't vote because they're like, what the hell's the point? A lot of people in Republican areas feel the same way. And my message of bringing people together from the hood to the holler, and that that has become a rallying cry, um, is really about lifting up the people in the forgotten places. And I do believe that this race here in Kentucky will help decide the fate of democracy because not only are we going to beat Rand Paul, but we have to beat hate. Uh, We have to beat structural racism. And we have to do it in a way that is not just black people standing up for justice. This is going to require all of us. And the struggle is really what gives us the unique chance of the urgency to do this. I believe Kentucky is uniquely positioned because we're falling off the cliff. Um, If you look at past voter history, a lot of the people that voted for Trump did vote for Bernie Sanders. Um, So this isn't really a partisan divide. It's saying who's going to speak for me. And at this point, people of Kentucky know Rand Paul is abusing them and disrespecting Mm -hmm. them. And they're excited and fired up. And and it gives me a lot of hope at a time when cynicism is is really great. It's very strange the folks who are like, well, either Trump or Bernie or leaving Trump to go to Bernie or, but I think they want somebody who seems outside of the system entirely. So wait, I want to talk about Kentucky a little bit because Kentucky is a fantastic state. I've been down there a couple of times. Um, Very rich culture. I didn't realize this 95% of the world's bourbon comes from Kentucky. So when we're talking about Bourbon, we are talking about Kentucky. You guys own that, and it's a worldwide product. So 
what's the best bourbon? Well, well, I'm a little biased, um, but when I'm celebrating, I drink Booker's bourbon, as you, you might have been able to imagine. Uh, but <laughs> it's only bourbon if it comes from Kentucky. And I mean, we have hundreds to choose from. Um, you know, if you can drink some Pappies, that's real smooth. Uh, Jefferson's pretty good, too. Uh, but, you know, here it it really does speak to the fact that even in places that you forget about, um, there there's opportunity. There is chances to build businesses that can thrive. Uh, there's ingenuity. And um, I'm proud of, of the strength and the resolve that comes from Kentucky. And uh, we'll celebrate with a glass of bourbon when we win this race. What's the difference between great bourbon and bourbon that's just good? Well, for me, because uh, it's so it's an experience. You're not you're not trying to drink a lot of it. Uh, right. You're not looking right. You're going to abuse it if you're drinking too much of it. Right, uh, right. But the the smoothness of it, uh, you know, you can have some that have some spice in it. Um, the aroma it, that's a part of the experience too. Um, but you know, some some bourbon can you know burn your chest on the way down. So you got to oh, be yeah. careful with that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. but yeah, you get I a, felt a nice, that bird and I'm like, yo, this is a lot. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 It'll, it'll wake you up. That's for sure. <laughs> um, uh, uh, but yeah, we, we got some, some good bourbon here and, uh, I say, you come on down and we'll toast together. Well, you also have, you, you, you call yourself the barbecue capital of the world and our friends in South Carolina might want to fight you on that, but they're not here. So we're going to focus That's on right. you. So what is the what is the key to great Kentucky barbecue? So I actually love this debate because, uh, you know, my, my uncle uh, believes he is the best uh, on the grill in the world. And, you know, he'll he'll say a couple of things. It's in the sauce. You know, which uh, he hasn't given me his recipe yet, but I'm trying to earn my way into that. Wow. And, you know, and how you marinate the meat uh, and and get that temperature just right to where it's it's not tough, but it stays on the bone a little bit. You know, and then you got your your glass of bourbon on the side when you're done. Uh, You're talking about a good time. And now if you get some of my mom's potato salad, that's when you win. (laughs) There were years when... I was in love with Kentucky Fried Chicken, and I thought that was the best fast food that I ever had. And when I went to, the last time I went to Kentucky, my friend took me to uh, Colonel Sanders' wife's restaurant, right, mm-hmm. where they serve uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. And it was, it, it was it was an experience. And if you like <laughs> that fried it chicken, is. then it was, it was like, yo, this is kind of cool. What do you, what's your opinion on Kentucky fried chicken? Cause I, I mean, I grew up on that. Like, yo, this, this is, this is the bomb. I love this. You know, we, we all grew up on Kentucky fried chicken here, of course. And you know, it's, it's always, there's a time when you have a taste for it. Um, but actually here in Louisville, we have, um, Indies, which is another place where you can get chicken. Um, KFC sort of evolved over the years, you know, they don't always have the size, especially in the West End. Uh, depending on the time of the day, if you're going to go there, they may not have green beans. Sorry to knock them. I hope they got that straightened out now. <laughs> but I'll eat KFC every once in a while. Um, I, I save it for the people coming in town, though. But you pre- you prefer Indies to KFC sometimes, you're saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And my, my folks in Louisville will understand why I'm saying that. Do you have a the basketball history in Kentucky is major. Is there a ball player who is your favorite? You're like, yo, I really love watching this brother play and just the way he did his thing. Is there one who stands out in the memory for you? Man, well, uh, I got to go with my bias again. So basketball's a big thing in Kentucky. You know, UK, U of L rivalry is one of the, uh, the, uh, the most heated rivalries in the country. Um, and you're a UL guy. You're right. You're a Louisville guy, right? Yes, yeah, it's, it's coordination in my household. You know, I went to U of L for undergrad and law school. But when you mentioned uh, one of my favorite players, I got to say my cousin, uh, Winston Bennett. He played for UK, so you know we would have a house divided. And actually, um, he really <laughs> helped me have an appreciation for UK. Uh, but being able to brag and say, you know, my cousin played and uh, helped win a national championship in UK, and then he went to the NBA. And, um, had to guard Michael Jordan, you know, so I was always inspired by him. 
And um, I actually travel across Kentucky now, like before you get mad at me, because I because I'm a U of L grad. Uh, my cousin won a championship for UK, you know, so I've been he's been helping me politically, too. He helps you politically, right? Because <laughs> the state is so it's so deep there that they're yeah. like, we wouldn't we wouldn't mess with somebody who's a cardinal guy. But like I have wildcat blood in my family. That's right. Oh, yeah. They won't let you in the house. Uh, some folks, if. If you rooting for the cars or the cats, depending on where you're at, they may not let you in. So uh, my, my cousins <laughs> helped me get in some houses and earn some support. What do you, as you're barnstorming all around Kentucky, what are you learning about the state that you didn't know before? You know, it's it's more that I'm getting things reaffirmed. That uh, so I've worked across Kentucky for years, and I said I mentioned I was a director of Fish and Wildlife. Um, I've worked with small family farms across Kentucky, helping them compete in the commercial market. Uh, and then in the state legislature, I was really traveling the state on purpose uh, because I wanted to find ways to bring our communities together because I felt like nobody cared about the hood. And everywhere I went, people of Kentucky felt the same way. The thing that I did learn and that I'm continuing to see is how family is just a, such a central thing. Um, taking care of one another is something that you'll find everywhere. You don't meet strangers. Um, if you need something and you're, you're stranded, uh, somebody's going to come to help you. Now, I say that and I fully understand that that does not speak for everybody in the state. Uh, you know, there's some places I'll still be careful, um, you know, because <laughs> I, I know what I look like when I look in the mirror. But um, mm -hmm. the truth of the matter is uh, there's so much love in Kentucky and it is one of the most beautiful places on the planet. I mean, if you start in Appalachia and, and the, the mountains and rolling hills, go through the farmland and go down to the four rivers. I mean, you, you really do get it all. Um, and there's some great food all over the place too. Mm, there's definitely great food. You have, what do you have to do to beat Rand? What, what do you, you, you know, what do you need to shift people's minds on or is there a demographic or a part of the state that you're like this is going to be the key to getting this done what what is the playbook what is the strategy well well by the numbers the main thing that we actually have to do is run a campaign that is going to turn out support mm -hmm. um i say it that way because turnout in kentucky is typically low and you know on the democratic side of the aisle it's we've just sort of conceded that that's what it's going to be so we don't try to engage communities that are inconsistent voters. Um, and a lot of uh, Republican communities also don't even go. And, and so by actually turning out our Democratic strongholds um, and building relationships and building community in rural areas that are full of uh, progressive voices that have really just been ignored, um, we can beat Rand Paul because he does not have infrastructure. He's not Mitch McConnell. People fear and respect Mitch McConnell, as diabolical as he is. They know that he's he's a force um, and he's just been there for so long. People expect him to be there. Rand Paul doesn't have any of that. And so the big way that the, the main way that we're going to approach Rand Paul that I am taking on is twofold. One, I'm naming him. And that's part of what that that video was beginning to do is to mm -hmm. point a light on him. Because he hides often. Um, he's a national figurehead and he'll he'll fight with Dr. Fauci. He'll do all these things. But people of Kentucky didn't realize he was voting against disaster relief throughout mm -hmm. his career. And then that tornado ripped across the state and all the news finally started talking about this is who Rand Paul is. He's blocking this type of relief. So we need to make sure the people of Kentucky actually know what he does, that he blocks health care, that he's typically the one that's obstructing any progress. But then we have to build a movement that inspires people to believe things can be different. I mean, it's not enough to just call them terrible. We all already know that. Um, this really is about encouraging new voices, uh, making democracy real. And so we're training uh, our volunteers. I have over 20,000 volunteers. We're training them to be citizen lobbyists, uh, training them to be relational organizers. And we're building this type of infrastructure so we can beat him, but also win at the state and local level. Uh, so we got our hands full. But Stacey Abrams showed us that it's possible. Uh, Georgia showed what you can do if you actually organize. And so uh, we're making that investment. When I think about what is wrong with D.C., 
Mitch McConnell is quite often at the center of it. Um, What do you think about him and what he has done in D.C., which seems incredibly unfair, unethical, immoral? We could go on and on. Oh, we we could. We could spend the whole hour and uh, just scratch the surface. Um, Mitch McConnell is someone that I, I, I want I wanted to beat him so badly just so I could marvel at him. I mean, the way that he has really crushed the Commonwealth of Kentucky for political gain, exploited a state with four million people and used us to amass so much power in Washington. He has sold us out in every way that it's really hard to put it to words. You cannot have a heart and do what Mitch McConnell has done. You cannot believe that there is a greater power and do what Mitch McConnell has done. And it pains me because if you go back to the beginning of his career, uh, before I was born, uh, Mitch McConnell supported organized labor. He supported expanded health care. He supported women's rights. I mean, he has completely changed. Well, he sold us out. Uh, he sold us out for power. And um, he's culpable. Um, he is complicit. Um, these hearings that are going on right now, um, all of this happened on his watch. He had every bit of ability uh, to put his foot down and say that this movement to subvert democracy is not going to continue. But he saw it as a path for him to get power. He couldn't stand Donald Trump. Mitch McConnell couldn't stand Donald Trump. But he played the game at our expense so that he could keep power. And, and it's, it really is gross. It is it is truly gross. And the way that he has monkeyed around with the Supreme Court has had an impact on the country that will last for generations, because these are yeah. young people. We're talking about Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Comey Barrett. And, you know, th- this, you know, what we have here uh, with Roe v. Wade is just the beginning of where we're going with this sort of stuff. And it's, it's, it's tragic. And, you know, the will of the people has not been realized in terms of allowing the presidents to choose uh, their Supreme Court nominees. Yeah, and and that is a big part of what I have to do uh, here in Kentucky is help to educate on what actually is happening. Because we take for granted, because we talk about this stuff all the time, but regular folks aren't really tracking all of these things, you know. And the way that he has really, honestly, he's packed the court um, and done so uh, in a way that is going to unravel um, personal liberty, um, freedom, and human rights. Um, Like you said, they're focusing on abortion now, but that's just the beginning of where this goes if they're trying to take away our agency and humanity. And it really is terrifying to see because the idea of democracy, we're still trying to get it right. We're still pursuing it. I say it's hanging on by a thread. And Mitch McConnell doesn't see the value in democracy. He doesn't see the value in everybody being heard. And so he's unraveling that thread in real time. I mean, well, he's cutting it with an ax. And this race is so critical. Um, we can't just assume that things will get better because we want them to. Uh, so we we can't afford to sit down. And a lot of people are cynical about uh, the chances in this election cycle. Um, we're pushing past that cynicism because we really cannot afford it. Is Joe Biden doing enough for Democrats, for his voters, for the country in a world where, you know, Mitch McConnell is trying to lead us astray. The Republicans are trying to lead us astray. Um, is, is Joe Biden doing enough? Oh, well, no, that's a short answer. No. Um, but what he has been able to do is really important in a lot of ways. Uh, the rescue plan was critical legislation, major investments, the infrastructure legislation, tremendous investments for the Commonwealth of Kentucky. I mean, these are things that a lot of people don't know where these dollars are going, where they've come from, what's actually happening. And then when the ribbons are being cut, you're seeing the people that were opposing it standing there smiling like they did it. A big part of our issue is not even necessarily what he is or isn't doing or what the administration is or isn't doing, but it's the fact that most people don't know what's going on. Um, And so we're doing our issue-based organizing uh, to help enlighten and educate people on what it means to have broadband. And that these federal investments have come because of what the Biden administration have done. I mean, we're doing that work. But in the same token, there's plenty to be frustrated about. And a lot of Democrats, a lot of just Kentuckians, human beings, just people in general, have every reason to be agitated. 
Um, a main reason that Joe Biden is president is because. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrivemarket.com slash Torrey on March 16th 2000 two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta Jamil Alamin a Muslim leader and former black power activist was convicted but the evidence was shaky and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial my name is Mosi Secret and when I started investigating this case in my hometown I uncovered a dark truth about America from Tinderfoot TV Campside Media and iHeart Podcasts Radical is available now Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. He called out the, the inequities in our justice system um, and said that there would be uh, actions done. Now there was an executive order that was just moved forward. Uh, but a lot of people are saying, well, what was this action in the beginning? And more has to be done. What are we going to do to protect the right to vote? That was a commitment that was made uh, to us. And so we still got a lot of work to do. And I look forward to getting uh, up to Washington and expanding the majority to, to help him out because uh, I realize he can't do it alone. If you were to win, you go up to the Hill, what would be the first thing that you would want to propose? The first thing, um, and this is the same way I approach being in the state legislature, it, it was about protecting the access to the ballot box. Um, if we don't have a, vo- a voice to begin with, um, we can't really discuss anything else. And coming from a place that has been one of the most disenfranchised states in the country, I know how critical it is that we be heard to begin with. And so the John Lewis Voting Rights Act is something that should have already passed. Uh, there have been iterations of this, but the For the People Act, getting dark money out of politics. There's a super PAC that's been created here in, uh, well, not in Kentucky, it's from outsiders, but they put around $8 million in a super PAC and they call it Socialist Booker and they're preparing to call me everything but a child of God. How do we make sure that regular people can be heard um, and making sure that, you know, registration is automatic, um, that people are not losing their rights um, because of these felony convictions or they're getting them restored. Uh, So that's going to be a first point of order for me. And then beyond that, we got to do the work of ending poverty. That's quality health care for every single person. That's financial freedom with universal basic income policies like that? How do we finally win reparations, uh, true justice uh, for our country? Uh, that bigger work um, is before us, but we got to make sure everyone can be heard to begin with. People are not making the connection that if we truly attack poverty and you institute something like a universal basic income or or, or a federal job guarantee, um, then that will go a long way toward uh, alleviating crime, right, and lowering crime because people don't commit crime because they lack character, because they have economic anxiety, right, because they come from a culture of a community where a lot of people are unable to make money, partly because they've been arrested for crimes before. But if everybody was was guaranteed a certain amount of money, then there would be less need for crime. That's absolutely right. And, you know, I mentioned my cousin that was murdered. His name was TJ. Um, I I carry his dog tag with me um, everywhere Mm -hmm. I go. Um, The reason he's dead now is because someone was trying to rob him. Um, Mm -hmm. And and if we think about the fact that we criminalize poverty, uh, we perpetuate it through our policies, and then we punish those who on the back end, um, even if they have made terrible mistakes, just punishing them alone does not fix the problem. And 
I believe Kentucky, again, is uniquely positioned to tell this story because we are one of the poorest states in the country. And, you know, there is a saying that the people closest to the pain should be closest to the power. I believe that. And I'm lifting up the fact that, you know, financial freedom means that you don't have to ration your insulin because I know what that means. You know, I've had to do that. Financial freedom is something Dr. King spoke of, a guaranteed annual income, guaranteeing jobs, but also using federal investments to reclaim mines that have been destroyed, lands that have been really wiped out and and rebuilding our country, Uh, making those types of investments. You create jobs and create union jobs, but you can give people the chance to afford to survive and maybe even invest and not just survive, but thrive. Let's do that. Let's create paths to prosperity for the people in this country. How about that? And if we do that, we'll get more support in the same process. So uh, to me, it's a win-win to do right by the people. And I know it'll be a, a, a needed change in, in Washington. The first thing you were talking about was voting rights, which is incredibly important. There seems to be the entire system wants to make voting Byzantine and a little complicated. And we could have already made it automatic registration, late right. registration, you know, but we seem to want to shrink the paths to registration, to shrink the the times and the ways of voting. And obviously this is mainly what the Republicans are doing to try to shrink the voter rolls. Um, but what, what do you want to see us do so that the franchise is uh, available to everybody who wants to vote? I mean, it's insane that, that, about a third of the country doesn't vote every time. So if if yeah. didn't vote was a candidate, it would have a strong chance of winning every time. That's exactly right. And um, I, I stood on the, the House floor here in Kentucky and held up a cup of peanuts and told the story of my granddad letting me know he had to guess the number of beans in a jar in order to vote. Um, wow. This was when when uh, the legislature was passing voter ID um, uh, legislation into law, which is in effect now. Um, mm. We need to do everything we can to make it easier for people to vote. Uh, that means policies like universal uh, mail-in voting, um, having, of course, paper trails for our, uh, for our voting process. But registration should be automatic. Um, I do not believe you should lose your right to vote um, because you have... Uh, mm-hmm falling on hard times or in engaging in the justice system. Um, we need to make sure that there are more access to polling locations here in Kentucky. If you remember back in 2020, um, there was one polling location uh, in the city of Louisville, largest metropolitan area in the state with uh, over 700,000 people. Uh, but even now, um, it can be hard for people to get around because of public transportation uh, and, and poor internet. So making sure that people can vote early um, get their registration done and uh, not have barriers like uh, voter IDs uh, that are blocking uh, our elderly or our most disadvantaged. So um, this stuff, it really is not rocket science. Um, we should not have long lines for people to vote. Um, you should be able to um, help someone get into uh, the polling location. I mean, these these issues are not really <laughs> radical. It's ridiculous. Um, you can't you can't give somebody water while they're waiting in line. Like it's just such such obvious discrimination against voters, older voters, what have you. It's ridiculous. Yeah. What is I ask everybody who comes on the show this, what does being black mean to you? Being black is the culmination of my life story, my ancestry, um, it, it means strength. Um, it means resolve. It means trauma. Um, but it means character. And um, I'm proud of my, my heritage. I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of my family. I'm proud of my community. Um, and I believe that being Black and being in tune with Um, the pain of our experience, but also the triumphs of our experience has equipped me to be in this historic moment. You know, as the the first black Kentuckian to be a major party nominee for U.S. Senate. And um, it's understanding the history of our country. Um, It's realizing the power of being at the heart of the fabric of our country. Um, It's uh, it's it's style. It's grace. um, it's, It's good food. 
<laughs> it's good music. <laughs> uh, it's everything. Hell yeah. That's a, a beautiful answer. And, and the only thing I would add to it is the connection that you have to all the folks who've been in politics from from before you, elected and unelected, who got close, who won. And they're all sort of like pushing you up a little bit and helping you, you know, like you wouldn't be here if Shirley Chisholm and Ed Brooke and, you know, we go on who, you know, had done the things that they had done. Stacey Abrams had accomplished what they had accomplished. Kamala, Barack Obama. It, so you are part of this, this lineage and this tribe have, have folks who came before you, who got elected or got close and didn't win, have have they called you and given you any advice and notes on what how to navigate the last uh, last few months of this thing? Um, they have actually, and 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 I appreciate you saying that because I I know I'm on the shoulders of a lot of giants, and uh, I'm in a legacy um, that really humbles me. And um, just a couple of days ago, I, I got a call. I uh, spoke to uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson. Um, oh and, wow! And it was it was really incredible to hear him talk with pride about the work that I'm doing in Kentucky because he did the same type of work uh, in Kentucky. He went to Eastern Kentucky and talked about poverty as a way that can bring us together. And and he also explained that he sees my work in From the Hood to the Holler um, as the next chapter of the Rainbow Coalition. And mm. You know, it's I can't really put to words uh, what it means to know that I'm helping to bend the arc, you know, in that way. Um, but I, I'm just grateful that I'm I'm here and I'm able to do my part. Thanks so much to Charles Booker for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality. Maybe this show can help. Find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jennifer Ford. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington and Nick Carp. Our booker is Claudia Jean, and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. Mm-hmm.